Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. For Brooklyn moms looking for advice, there's this hotline they can call. It's called Icarus Abias. It means it translates roughly to housewife or keystone of the home. Gwyn Hogan from WNYC Public Radio. She's been eavesdropping here. Icarus Abias, it's actually Yiddish. It's not, it's like more grandiose than housewife. Uh, sort of like the mainstay of the home, I guess, is a better translation uh, in Yiddish. The advice on this phone line, it's geared towards Orthodox Jewish people. So if you dial that number or one of their several numbers, if you dial one of those numbers, then you get kind of like a phone tree where you can click one for information on potty training or two for information on this. And there's actually a section on kidnapping, (laughs) how to not be kidnapped. I know I never listened to that section, but um, and then eventually through the numbers, if you listen through, you can find out the truth about vaccines. The truth about vaccines. Right now, revealing the truth about vaccines in this tight-knit community, it's important. New York's in the middle of one of the largest outbreaks of measles in decades. Many of those infected are part of this sheltered Orthodox community. And this hotline has become a place for families to gather. Welcome to the Arcaris Salvaius Hotline. A right hand for the Jewish mother. And you can press certain buttons to ask a question. In some cases, it's a free-for-all. Anybody can answer it. We've seen children who just, like, just don't talk as much anymore. They seem a little spaced out. And that could be from, I would say, the aluminum in the vaccine. There's a lot of fear. There are moms really just wanting to do what is best for their kids, you know, which I think is crosses all different cultural and social and ethnic groups. Right. Now, is, is measles a very dangerous disease? No. Well, they're saying that one in four um, cases of measles are hospitalized. I'm wondering if that's accurate. I'm sure that it's not. That is a lie. And the people that are answering the questions are always downplaying the severity of measles and hyping the danger of vaccines. Gwen was listening into these conference calls because she says they show just how persistent bad information can be. And she wonders, with New York getting tough on measles, whether that's going to drive this community's fear out or just drive it underground. Today on the show, how to fight an outbreak and the unintended consequences when you try. Gwen's going to take us inside what's happening in New York. And then Slate's Dan Engber is going to ask if all our talk about measles is making outbreaks better or making them worse. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, 
everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. How many confirmed cases of measles does New York have right now? Glad I just wrote it down. 214 as of this week. Seems like a lot. Well, right. That's not active cases. So that's 214 cases since last October. However, there were 31 cases confirmed in the past week, all in Williamsburg. So that at this point is the uh, epicenter of the ongoing outbreak. How does that compare to previous years? Um, Well, 2013 was the last time there was a measles outbreak of any size in New York City. And that was much less. That was around 55. 50 cases, 50, 60 cases. This outbreak is larger than we've seen since the 1990s in New York City and years before measles was declared eradicated from the United States. And mostly in the Hasidic community, the Orthodox Jewish community. And they've really been the epicenter of these outbreaks for a long time, right? Yes, that was also in 2013. It was within the Orthodox community here. Why is this outbreak happening in the Hasidic community in particular? There are a couple reasons for this. This is a very tight-knit community. And so even with a few or small percentage of unvaccinated children, there's just a lot more insularity. So it's um, spreading. You know, anyone who is unvaccinated in that community is going to spread to. And to be clear, like, it appears that the outbreak began from travelers who in some cases were from Europe, several from who went to Israel and caught the measles there and brought it back. And so it's not like just one person brought it and now we're seeing this whole thing. It's sort of this evolving situation. So when you started trying to understand why this community was continually having trouble with measles, what did you find? So I guess that brings us to the Peach Manual. It is a manual called uh, the The Vaccine Safety Handbook, a project of PEACH, and PEACH stands for Parents Educating and Advocating for Children's Health. And this pamphlet has been out for several years, but when the outbreak began last October, it was sent to some Orthodox homes in uh, in neighborhoods, in ultra-Orthodox neighborhoods. So it just arrived in the mail? Exactly, yes. So you would just go to your mailbox and, and there it is. And all of a sudden it is there, yeah. And in, in the case of New York and New Jersey, this is something that was passed between friends, between relatives, and sort of circulated throughout the community that way. And again, we're talking about a really tight-knit community where, like, what your sister-in-law says, what your mother says, these are things that are... I mean, in any community, that's true. You take the advice of your relatives, but particularly here. And it looks professional. I've seen this pamphlet. It looks like something you'd find in a doctor's office. But how does it differ? So the thing about this manual is it's full of all these big questions, like why are autism rates going up and why do children die suddenly in their sleep? And it posits all these questions and then it says all this information about vaccines. It sort of puts vaccines in parallel to all these, every possible ailment. So it asks these questions and gives you this information about vaccines, sowing these kind of seeds of fear. Well, maybe it's vaccines, you know? It, you jump, the, the reader jumps to that conclusion. Yeah, I mean, like, the one that stood out to me, there's this cartoon 
of a doctor with a needle telling the mom this vaccines are totally safe. And then in the next panel, the doctor drops the vaccine and it spills on the floor. And he says to the nurse, it's a biohazard, you know, call the EPA, like everything here we can't touch. And it sort of just sets up this conflict in your mind. Like, is the vaccine good? Is what's is what is in the vial safe? I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. So knowing about the history of this community, the way information moves through it, I asked Gwen, how have public health officials responded to this outbreak? Well, they took a very drastic measure in December, which was barring unvaccinated children from attending yeshivas. In Brooklyn. In Brooklyn, yes. And then just in the last couple of weeks, we've seen even more steps in Rockland County, which Mm -hmm. is another place where there's a significant Orthodox Jewish population. What happened there? The Rockland County executive had declared a state of emergency, and he, for a period of 30 days, which he could potentially extend, uh, unvaccinated children are banned from public places. Um, How does that even work? (laughs) They say they're not planning on enforcing this. They're banned from public indoor spaces, to be clear. So they can go to parks and they can be on streets, but restaurants, malls, that kind of a thing, they're not allowed there. And how does this work? They're saying they're not they're not going to be patrolling. They're not going to have a list of immunization records. You don't have to have an ID card that says you've been vaccinated. But it seems that there could be enforcement retroactively, is my Mm. understanding. So like if the measles spreads and a child was in a public place, then the parent could Could be liable, could be liable. Exactly. It sounds like New York is putting in place these really rigid enforcement systems. But is it working? Well, County Executive Ed Day said, yes, this is working. People are like, oh, it's the law. I'm going to vaccinate my kids. But, you know, talking to this one gentleman who his child was excluded from school, although they moved the child to a school outside the county so he's so the child can attend class. This man was saying this exclusion changes nothing about how I feel about vaccinating my child. If anything, like I thought that the county government was overreaching to begin with. And now I'm even more enraged that the government would try to tell me what to do with my child. Mm. And yeah, this is not changing those people's minds at all. If anything, it's making them feel uh, more anger towards their government. What's interesting is you did find one woman who seems to be making a bit of a difference, but she's not doing anything like this. She's doing something really different. Can you tell me about this nurse you met, Blima? Yeah, Blima Marcus is from Borough Park. She's um, a member of the Orthodox Jewish Nurses Association. And she sort of really takes issue with this this sort of method that leadership in the community overall are sort of saying this sort of iron fisted, like your doctor says vaccinations are good. You must vaccinate. She's like, no, 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 no. This is not going to work because for mothers, for women in this community, this is such an emotional issue. This is like a lightning rod of like, what is best for my child? Like what the fears about whether or not I'm doing what's best for my child. And so she is coming at this from a totally different angle. She's like, we need to acknowledge those fears and then we need to debunk 
the anti-vaccination propaganda. And so what she and a group of Orthodox nurses have been doing for several months, and their book should be released shortly, is they've basically dissected the Peach Manual line by line by line by line and exposed its faults exposed its fallacies. And they're hoping then, you know, they already have back orders on this book. They have people in Orthodox communities all over the country who want copies of it. And they plan on sort of presenting this to sort of show mothers, like, your fears are valid. Like, this book is terrifying. And here is why these things that you read and learned from this book are not true. (laughs) So she's trying to fight information with information. It seems like there are two approaches here, just sort of rigidly banning people or engaging really deeply. I wonder if you think there are lessons here that are applicable around the country to all of the other anti-vaccine communities, because it's not just this one. Yeah, I mean, this is such a specific case on the one hand. You know, it's a very unique community in terms of how tight-knit it is. You know, and it comes to this whole idea of censorship. It doesn't seem like pretending that information isn't there is going to help because the seed of fear is already in people's minds. And so as with anything, like the more light you have on that piece of information, maybe the more public health officials will, the more success they'll have. Gwen Hogan covers health for WNYC. We'll be right back. One thing that's been on my mind for the last couple of months is how reporters, people like me and Gwen, cover these measles outbreaks that have cropped up recently. I think the coverage of the measles outbreaks, the national coverage of the measles outbreaks, has been somewhat out of hand. My colleague Daniel Engber has been thinking about all this, too. He's a science columnist here at Slate. A couple months ago, he wrote a story and headlined it, Stop Talking About the Measles. The way it's talked about, I think, introduces a lot of exaggeration and fear. And uh, there's even a risk that it exaggerates the influence of the anti-vaxxers, which may be to their advantage. I'm not sure that covering this as a national catastrophe does more good than harm. Hmm. You talk about this data point that's in like every story about the measles, which is that back in 2000, the U.S. declared the measles eliminated. And you say that's misleading. Tell me more about that. Yeah. Some news reports use the word eradicated instead of eliminated. Um, I don't think there's the way those words are used has any technical meaning in media coverage. But um, when I hear them, I think, oh, measles is completely gone. No one was getting measles. That's actually not the case. What happened in 2000 was CDC experts decided that measles was no longer in regular circulation in the U.S. They knew that there would still be measles outbreaks imported from overseas. In fact, all the measles outbreaks we've seen recently are imported from overseas. But it wasn't going to just sort of spontaneously pop up here anymore. That still seems to be true. It is still eliminated in that sense, as best we can tell. But I think, you know, it's interesting, even at the time, some people worried that using that language would create a false sense of security. People would think, oh, it's not even anything to worry about. What's the risk of this kind of coverage, though? Because it is not great that kids aren't getting vaccinated, even if it's only happening in these 
small pools of people. Sure. I Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to argue that there's anything good about people getting measles. Of course, it's terrible. But if you look at vaccination numbers across the country, three-year-olds, 91.5% of, of three-year-olds have received their first MMR vaccination in the U.S. That's the same rate that you saw five years ago and 10 years ago and I think 15 years ago. The, the rate is so not changing. So no change. No ch- the national rate is incredibly stable. I mean, Doing a lot of health reporting, it's surprising to see something so stable. The norm for vaccination in the U.S. is very strong and unchanging. And so there's this media narrative that the anti-vaxxer menace is growing, is spreading through social media. It's just sort of not borne out by the facts. So you asked, what's the danger? I gave sort of an answer to a different question. What is the danger? Well, I think the danger when you start amplifying the message and reach of very fringe groups is that you're perhaps eroding that norm. That's that's one danger. Hmm. You make this other argument, which I think is interesting, which is that the anti-vax story takes up a lot of oxygen in the health and science space. We spend a lot of time talking about anti-vaxxers and not a lot of time talking about socioeconomic differences in terms of healthcare coverage. Can you talk a little bit about that? Who are the kids that are not getting vaccinated? There was a there were national headlines not so long ago about the number of unvaccinated kids quadrupling in the United States in recent years. That sounds terrible. To be clear, it's quadrupling from a very small number to still a small number. But the CDC report at that time made it very clear that the the source of that quadrupling was not anti-vaxxer propaganda, but social inequality. It's, it's you know, kids who don't have health insurance, kids who don't have access to good health care, and there are racial disparities in who is getting vaccinated in the U.S. Hmm. Here's where I think we disagree. You talk about how the problem of vaccination is a localized problem. It's a problem in smaller communities. And so it doesn't necessarily warrant this larger national attention. But we wouldn't say like a chemical spill in Arkansas isn't worth our attention because it's local. We'd go there, we'd cover it because it's an important story. Uh, Well, that's why is it an important? I mean, I agree it's an important story, but I'm curious, what are the ways in which it's an important story? So I would say probably the ways we'd cover it would be the human angle of just people being impacted and probably the numbers of people being impacted. And there are significant numbers of people being impacted by the measles situation, and they are rising, but then also the structural issues that caused whatever to happen. So if you're looking at a chemical spill, like why are our chemicals traveling on trains or are they not protected enough and those sorts of things. And I think that that would be a legitimate story, a legitimate national story, a legitimate national theoretical story. <laughs> but but I think the same thing is true with the measles. I'm just not so sure I see an analogy here in terms of like national policy and government regulation to to stop this problem. Yes, there are when you see these measles outbreaks, there's usually a local government response, sometimes a statewide government response. Okay, we need to wipe out the philosophical exemption. That's what happened in California after the Disneyland outbreak some years ago. But I don't I, I just I'm not sure how this connects up with broader policy. I mean, the United States as a whole still is very encouraging of vaccination, and that's why vaccination rates have national vaccination rates have stayed the same at very high. 
Well, I think there are the issues of, you know, are there ways for parents to get exemptions that are easy in some states? And can we close those loopholes? I think that would be a policy thing we could change. Yes, but that is what's happening. In Washington state, where there was a recent outbreak, there was a tightening of the laws not so long ago. And if you look at studies... And would that have happened if it had wasn't in USA Today? Okay, that's, that is the key question. And maybe that is the source of our disagreement. I would say, yes, that would have happened. What's relevant there is what people think in that county in Washington state, and maybe Washington as a whole. I just don't think, you know, what, what you and I say in New York City matters to those local vaccination rules. But I mean, maybe I'm wrong about that. That could maybe we have found exactly the source of our disagreement. I think the other thing is just, I think what you're arguing against is the tone of the coverage more than the coverage itself. So I'm uh, I have two objections to the coverage. One is factual and one is tone. The factual part is there's just no evidence that the anti-vaxxer movement is stronger today than it was 20 years ago. So just as a journalist, as a science journalist, it's just wrong, that kind of coverage that paints this as, as a growing menace. Okay, so that's issue number one. I do have a problem with the tone. It's not that it's fear-mongering. I think in local communities, fear-mongering is very effective. That's why there have been 17,000 vaccinations in Rockland County. That's why there was a 500% increase in Washington State around the area of that outbreak. Parents are scared, and they're getting vaccinated, and that is just a self-correction of this silliness of parents not getting vaccinated, not thinking it's important. The tone problem, as far as I see it, is that there's this outrage around it. Since 91.5% of kids are vaccinated and that is unchanging, we can say that almost all parents are on the right side of this issue. But, I mean, people are really, really furious. And that bothers me because I think it is just like a useless outrage at our fellow citizens. So you published this piece. Did you get any feedback from it? I got some, I'm, I'm going to confess, and this is very disturbing to me, when I wrote the piece, there's a paragraph in there where I say, you know, some of the points I'm making, I'm sure could be, similar points could be made by anti-vaxxer propagandists. Mm-hmm. And to be clear, vaccinate your damn kids. I mean, there's a section of my piece that said that. And yet still... I heard from anti-vaxxer activists who were very pleased by my piece. So that's upsetting to me because I couldn't have been more explicit in the piece about what I think of that movement. That's something that I have had to reckon with since I published the piece. If I thought I was being as clear as possible, but there are anti-vaxxer groups, apparently, who very much liked the piece that I wrote. Dan Engberg, thank you so much for coming in and talking to me about it. Thanks for having me. Dan Engber is a science columnist for Slate. All right, that's the show. If you want to chat with me about this story, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Mary's Desk. My producers, Jason DeLeon, Mary Wilson, and Anna Martin, they're also on there. Look them up. Just click around. You're going to find Jason because he's the one who's always tweeting about the Brooklyn Nets. All right, I'll catch you tomorrow. Sick of being upsold at gyms? 
My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.